This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's Program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Kroc School's dedicated community fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast, Happy Hour Edition. I'm Jacob McQuinney, education reporter at Voice of San Diego, and today I am your one and only Happy Hour host, so good luck you and good luck me. Uh, in this special episode, we've got drinks and we've got music, local music. Uh, I got sick and had to bail on our last Happy Hour podcast. Needless to say, I was bummed, so now I'm getting a Happy Hour all to myself. Uh, but not really all to myself. I brought four wonderful local musical luminaries here to shoot the shit about San Diego music. Uh, I, For those of you who don't know, I played in a bunch of bands that you've never heard of for about a decade and a half before I got into journalism. And one thing that taught me was that San Diego has just is overflowing with awesome music, awesome artists, creativity and diversity, but it does not get the respect that it deserves. It's always kind of been this little brother to LA, a little brother to every, you know, (laughs) sort of city when it with the music scene. And we are going to dive into some of that history, some of the past, present, and maybe even the future of San Diego music. Um, So uh, let me introduce you to our guests here. Uh, Sitting to my left, I have Bill Perrine, a filmmaker who's produced some excellent documentaries about local music happenings, including 2014's It's Gonna Blow, which you may recognize from some of our podcast talk here. Uh, That documentary explored the rise of San San Diego's underground music scene during the mid-1980s to 1990s. Uh, His most recent release, however, is the book Alien Territory, Radical, Experimental, and Irrelevant Music in 1970s San Diego. Bill, what are you drinking today? I'm drinking a fine Cerveza Modelo. (laughs) We're matching then. We both got a Modelo sitting in front of us. Classic San Diego brew, cheap Mexican beer. Yes. Nothing better. Yes. That's that's my, that's what I prefer as opposed to those, you know, 
pricey uh, uh, craft beers. Um, Okay, sitting across from me is Tim Piles. You may recognize his voice from Decades on the Air, spinning new and local music both at 94.9 and 91X. Tim has been affectionately referred to as the mayor of San Diego Music and does booking at multiple local venues and now hosts a pair of shows on KXFM. What are you drinking, Tim? I'm having a Mexican Coke. Thank you very much. <laughs> I went out last night and, and had some drinks, and I'm going out again tonight. So uh-huh. it's all pacing, right? Yeah, yeah. Pace yeah. You, you got you to really get the flow there. Establish for sure. a base layer of caffeine <laughs> <Yeah>. and sugar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we also have Makeda Dread, a legendary figure not only in San Diego's reggae scene, but just San Diego's music scene in general. She founded uh, the World Beat Center at Balboa Park and also the long running Bob Marley Day Festival. Uh, she spent decades booking concerts and hosting her. Uh, uh, reggae Mikosa radio show and has also been just a longtime activist in San Diego. What are you drinking, Makeda? CBD kombucha. <laughs> that sounds nice. That sounds nice. Is it in the spot? Yeah, it's it's nice. Kombucha. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Makeda also has the um, honor of having given me my first nickname as a as a baby. <laughs> yeah, she she. Uh, so Makeda was good friends with my parents, and she nicknamed me little buddha well i was always told that it was because i was i was bald as all hell but but you said that i had the the temperament of a, of a little buddha as well you know you're bald and, and a little chubby <laughs> but we were glad you know um but you were a different uh kind of baby you know mm-hmm. didn't cry that much mm-hmm. i'll come in just knowing and i go he's a little buddha <laughs> Well, I, I may not have cried a lot back then, but I, I cry a lot now, so maybe I'm making up for it. I think you should reclaim that name, though. That should be your yeah. podcast name. Yeah. There you go. Little Buddha. Buddha. Little Buddha. Um, all right, and last but certainly not least, we have Arthur Mitchell, better known as DJ Artistic. He's been a pillar in San Diego's hip-hop scene for the better part of 30 years. He's done a bit of everything, from DJing and producing music to throwing his own events. Uh, his decades of contribution have earned him four San Diego Music Awards and opening slots for legendary acts like Public Enemy. What, what are you drinking, Art? I am drinking an all-natural energy drink, Celsius. I'm almost nine years no alcohol, but I am smoking weed. <laughs> <laughs> That's called the San Diego Sober, California Sober? Yeah, right? California Sober. Yeah. 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 yeah, we recognize that as, as a sterling level of sobriety. Yes, indeed. Yes. <laughs> um, well, first off, I just want to thank you guys all for coming in. I, I really appreciate it. I know it's not easy to arrange five schedules to to make something like this work. So, so thank you in advance for spending some time in our hot little studio here. Uh, so, we're going to talk a lot about San Diego music today, but I wanted to start out with sort of just vibing a little bit on on a musical selection from 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 each person here uh i was thinking let's uh start with bill what uh what do you have lined up for us well that's a good question i sent two over i'm not <laughs> sure which one you guys chose i wanted to be surprised okay. you know which one it is well let, let's start with uh mark turner's everywhere with sally and i think that we okay. can get into aroma of gina arnold a little bit later because i as, was just trying to ca- tie that into your catchphrase yes you know, yes no and i'd like and i'd like to here. i'd like to do that for sure let's let's start with everywhere with sally though
So, Bill, why, why don't you tell us what we're listening to right here? This sort of, uh, this just spaced out, <laughs> almost like folk, uh, folk rock. What's going on? Or not folk rock, but folk music. Well, I, you know, I mean, this is this is something. The reason I brought this in is because it's basically new to me. This mm. is something that I had never heard of. Somebody I'd never heard of until recently, and I just came to it through serendipity. Mm. But it's a guy named Mark Tucker. Um, who I think is from the Midwest originally, but this song, which is, I believe, Everywhere with Sally, parentheses, Ride, Mm -hmm. uh, is from his 1982 album, In the Sack. So he moved out here after having some sort of, I think, nervous breakdown, maybe multiple nervous breakdowns, (laughs) uh, partly owing to some psychedelic drug use, I think. Okay, yeah. Need some time in the sun after that, I imagine. Yeah, so he moved out here and he recorded this, which is his, his second album. And it's sort of a concept album, they say, about his new job with the postal service. Uh, <laughs> in the sack refers to his mailbag. Um, so, uh, yeah, so he moved out here and he lived in Encinitas. And as far as I know, he still lives up there. And he records under the name of, I brought my little cheat sheet here, T-Storm Hunter, hmm. I believe. Uh I'm going to read a real quick thing from the back of the record. Like I said, I just got this. So I barely heard this song maybe twice, but Mm. it's so unusual. Yeah. So he says on the back, he has a quote, a thousand shadowy trees form the principal features of the scenery. I am not wholly uninfluenced by its magic in my lonely walks, but I long for a thunderstorm, which is a quote from uh, Lord Shelley, Lord Byron, Lord Shelley. Wow. um, Which I think is where he got his name. He's searching for a thunderstorm, T storm Mm. hunter. Uh, but the song itself is supposedly recorded backwards. Now, what that means, I don't know exactly. But <laughs> my guess is that he wrote the song out uh, forwards, <laughs> reversed the chords, figured out how to sing the lyrics backwards, and then recorded it, and then reversed that. And then I think maybe he's flying in some reversed vocals over the top. I'm not actually hearing this right now, so I can't exactly say. But the so whole album like is full of- a Garmin situation here, a little Twin Peaks magic. Yeah, and it's very, the whole thing is just a weird, singular kind of record. I know he was a Todd Rundgren fan, but this doesn't sound much like Todd Rundgren. That's probably why he went crazy. <laughs> well, maybe. Um, anyway, so yeah, I don't know. It's just one of these, I, I like it because it's, it's nice to discover these weird things. I'm a connoisseur of odd music, especially local odd music. And this is something that entirely- slipped my radar mm. up to this point. And that's kind of inspiring when you think when you think that, you know, this guy's still out there doing doing it. And he's got his own label, Tetrapod Spools. <laughs> so I don't know. I gotta check out his uh his other stuff. He's also got a quote about the karmic sack we all carry makes postmen out of each and every one of us. That huh. so next time you see your postman maybe new copy of his record? I got it from him. Through uh-huh. mail order. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, but this is the original, like, 1982 pressing. No oh, he's way. He's got extras. I, I, I don't think he has that. It's, it's actually, like, it was reissued by uh, Distille, which is, like, a big kind of garage rock record they did uh-huh. uh, label. So it, it's had, like, some notoriety. Like, once I heard it, I started looking it up, and there's, you know, there's fans for everything, I guess. But it's got <laughs> a cult. Um, Sounds like it would be a great show with uh, him and Gary Wilson. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. They're both these kind of outsider musicians. But, you know, Gary's most famous record he did when he was back in New York before he came out here. I mean, he's still doing great stuff and yeah, all yeah. that. But um, I love all the accolades he gets from The Roots and- mm-hmm. uh, and, Beck, and Beck's and a Beck, fan. Yeah. 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 So, 
Uh, yeah, I don't know. It'd be interesting to ask Gary if he knows, right? knows this guy or who knows this guy. I don't yeah. know. I haven't asked my Encinitas friends yet. Uh, he's probably around, probably doing stuff. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. One to check out. Well, as you said, you're kind of a, a connoisseur of the the strange and, and the outsider. And so why don't you talk a little bit about Alien Territory? That The, the, the recent book was fantastic and, and introduced me to, to so much of this just fascinating San Diego musical lore from the 70s that I was just not, you know, privy to at all. Well, it's, you know, it's a lot of that stuff I didn't know either. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't even know where to start with that exactly. But <laughs> I'll, I'll say like this, like Mark Tucker is the kind of thing. When I started doing the book, uh, I had this idea originally. It was going to be about, I was listening to a lot of like weird synth music from the early 70s mm-hmm. and stuff that like Brian Eno was doing and. Uh, things like that. And I just started looking around. I feared somebody at San Diego must have been doing this. And my initial thought was I was going to find some guy who had like just a lot of weird equipment in his, you know, scuzzy basement out in East County or something like that. And I eventually did find a guy like that who we can get into. But mostly it ended up being more towards UCSD. And UCSD in the 70s was very different than it is now. Mm -hmm. It's a much wilder, uh, weirder place. And it ended up being, the book ended up being more about... um, this notion of irrelevant music, which is what Kenneth Cabrero's idea of a music that's totally divorced from trends, from expectations, from anything, because nobody likes it. And so you can do whatever you want with it once nobody likes it. Yeah, like which you is can also have fun very, with the lights are off kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. And that's a San Diego thing, too. Like mm-hmm. that goes to, I think a lot of bands probably feel that way, mm-hmm. which is that they're not exactly in the spotlight here. And so they can kind of do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I started just working on on that and getting into all these people. And I found people like Harry Parch and Polino Oliveros. Like there was a little free jazz scene with here at like Diamanda Galas and Jim French. People like that were doing interesting stuff. Uh, just this whole wild world of people. And some of it connected to the previous stuff I was interested in. And some of it was a whole, uh, a whole new thing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where I just find that I guess I'm lucky because I don't think people, not everybody in San Diego thinks of chronicling these things for some reason. Mm. Like I was astounded how much of this music is really well known, like internationally, you know, Parch and Oliveros and these people are like huge. Diamante Galas is huge, but they don't really, people don't talk about how they're all connected. All these people to one extent or another knew each other or were inspired by each other. You know, they drank together. They ate at the same weird vegetarian restaurant or, you know, that was in here in 1972 or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I just wanted to kind of pull that together and show another, you know, portrait of a community. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that sounds, that sounds fascinating. Uh, well, I, I appreciate that Mark Tucker with everyone with Sally. Um, let's, let's move on to Makeda. Makeda, what, what, what do you have for us? Well, I have Boosted mm-hmm. and they're a local band with six or seven musicians, wicked horn section, uh, female lead singer, um, she's wicked, uh, Davina. <laughs> yeah. And they're local San Diego's. They played with Don Carlos and uh, Montesiahu, you know, different bands that they open up. Lee Scratch Perry also, too. They wow. open up for these different bands. And they're, they just, you know, they're rising up now. They yeah. did our Earth Day there's They're, white kids in that band. You like a, a reggae <laughs> band with a bunch of white kids in it. I, I, I love this. This is amazing. They well, are, they're amazing. They're a great I, band. Did you know I had the first white reggae band 
night, you know, night shift and, you know, all, all these guys. Yeah. I mean, I got, I got some shit from, <laughs> I've got, you know, for it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I had love these you guys. shouting out Boosted. They they are a great local band. I think they yeah. came from uh, UC Santa Cruz, a bunch of them, or that's kind of yes, how they, they formed. Yes, they did. Some mm-hmm. of them. Yeah. All right. Well, well, let's, let's give it a listen and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more. Yeah. Tim, I had revolution. I had the first white. I mean, these guys are huge now. I just tribal, love it. I love it. Tribal scene. <laughs> I have total Who faith that in I you. Was, Much I, respect to you always in this scene completely. Thank you. Somebody I just else, love giving you a little shit. Yeah, I know you always did. <laughs> <laughs> well, well how, how long have you guys have you guys known each other? Oh, gosh, I mean, I was at 91X for many years. I mean, it's been 30 years, maybe yeah, 25, 30. 30 years, something like that. 30 wow. years. Wow. And a supporter before that, you know? Uh-huh. Well, well, it's well, like seeing Big Mountain uh, at City College <laughs> yeah. out on the grass. You know, that was an interesting time before the reggae thing took on a whole different thing at one point. But yeah. before Sublime, mm-hmm. example, yeah. it was a much different kind of vibe in, in San Diego for reggae music and a little more crossover. It wasn't yeah. just the beach scene. I mean, well, I'm an old ska head, so I always loved reggae too. Well, oh, yeah. well maybe let's go back to that moment. What, yeah. what, what Scatterlights. That... Yes. <laughs> we brought the scatterlights, yeah. you know. What, what was that moment like for, for, for you and for World Beat Center? I mean, for many years that was kind of the place and still is the place yeah. for reggae music in, in this city. I mean, what, what was it like to sort of and, be ushering this scene into its its – <laughs> you know, a, a, a teenagehood and then adulthood. You know, it's really weird because I uh, was different from African Americans, mm-hmm. and then I had you know dreadlocks. Then I come, you know, big natural before activist, uh, vegetarian. You know, you know, my brothers were saying you need to make that into a barbecue restaurant. Right? You know, <laughs> yoga. Yoga was a communist holiday. You know, so always doing something that was really difference you know bringing kwanzaa in mm-hmm. and getting threatened by the john birch society for having kwanzaa which is you know really? all over now yeah they tried to uh burn down the center but it, um, the the restaurant i should say on university avenue mm-hmm. but it didn't work uh because you because of kwanzaa because of kwanzaa i got this it, we used to be there used to be a, a paper called the teaspoon door ocean beach paper mm-hmm. Very famous, and so and Ocean Beach was—they were activists at that time. Yeah. It was, you know, that was the the United Republic of uh, Ocean Beach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so Still I hanging in there. I, I <laughs> well, it used to be really, yeah, bad, it's but it's hanging in. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. glad. But uh, I advertised it, and uh, they said you advertised this communist holiday in the teaspoon door. And then I go, well, I didn't know it was a communist holiday. And then it's a record play. That's when the John Bird Society was here. 
Wow. And they were all in Fallbrook. Yeah. That's... And all those guys. So they, <laughs> and then they played a record, you know, sort of, you know, and it's the, you know, comedy. And I was like, wow, you know. So, yeah, it, it's it's been very interesting, you know, being a black woman and and dealing with culture. Mm-hmm. Um you know, even on ninety one X, I would sneak uh, Malcolm X in, and <laughs> you know my colleagues. But, uh, so I would, you know, I went to Majuli. We we would just. Uh, I didn't know if I was going to go uh, get back there. You know, um, after we played some of the you know Martin Luther King's uh, speech in Vietnam, and at one time we couldn't play uh, when Clear Channel bought the station. They said you cannot play John Lennon's, you know, Imagine, Marvin Gaye's What's Going On, and a few others, but they didn't say anything about Bob Marty's War. Dun, <laughs> yeah, dun. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, playing, um, you know, playing a lot of uh, uh, Free Nelson Mandela, because, you know, mm-hmm. that was apartheid, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. I was on that one. I even got to meet Nelson Mandela. It was great, wow. you know. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That in L.A., wow. him and Winnie, I was like, all this time I'm wearing this Nelson Mandela, you know, on my is a necklace, and I I didn't know what to do after you know he got free because we're, <laughs> we're on boat cruises playing, you know, free Nelson Mandela by the specials. Oh man! Oh yeah. So that was it. so it was in the town, you know, uh, dealing with uh, some of the white kids that were in reggae. Uh, you know, Steel Pulse, we were the first one to bring Steel Pulse here. Uh, and we had him for two days. And then we, uh, you know, all the reggae, you know, Gregory Isaac for the first time. Mm-hmm. I mean, and Bob, you know, dealing with Bob Peter, Peter Tosh, you know, a few and times. You, I mean, you dealt Bela. personally with all of them. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I love Bob. He's a nice guy. He was very, Peter was like the Malcolm X of <laughs> reggae. Bob was, you know, like, uh, you know, Warren Luther King. He's real. <laughs> he's a uh, real soft, real, real. You know, real short. He's about tall as me. Kind of like he was really big. Yeah. You know, bringing liberation music here to San Diego, which was very conservative. Yeah. To uh, blacks and people of color. So, you know, I'm really honored that I was a 91X that long, mm-hmm. and being a DJ there and spreading, you know, reggae music and and music. Uh, you know, uh, no doubt they played there. And, you know, like I, I was saying, a lot of good musicians, Crash Worship, you know, mm-hmm. all these guys had a message. And there's a message in the music mm-hmm. and there's no color in music. Mm-hmm. Well, that that was that's something that I think is really interesting about the trajectory of, of reggae in particular. For, for so many years, it was a very, very, very radical form of music. You know, it was overtly political. And I, and I wonder if you feel like over the years, there's been a lessening of that. Do, do you feel like reggae is, is is as political as it used to be? Well, somebody, someone always takes your music. Mm-hmm. You know, they always in hip hop, in jazz. You know, you know, smooth jazz. You know, <laughs> they, they like they really take, but reggae music, they've taken it. Yeah, you know, because you know these guys. I mean, they got money. You know, their <laughs> golden voice used to be this little small yeah. thing, and now they got. Uh, I think it's called reggae vibes, and they're all together. You know, mm-hmm. and the the agencies. You know, these agencies that um, 
you know, th- that these agencies got slightly stupid. Slightly stupid is from San Diego, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, the, from the Republic of Ocean Beach, right? The Republic <laughs> of Ocean Beach. So, I mean, but these guys are big. And then we had another band, and they remained, they they remained cool. And it was Big Mountain, you know. I and Kino, Kino don't, he don't play, you, you know. <laughs> he, come, he come from the Makeda World Beat. School because he knows he'll get a role, a world beat beating if he changes, you know. <laughs> but Kino was cool. He he's always from the liberation. I mean, he he got in kind of trouble because he ran away from that pretty boy. Oh, baby, I love you. Yeah. you know. So he got into some hard stuff. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, then yeah. it dropped him. He had to he had to he had to work back he up. Still has a career today, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he oh, does. And he's so he's cool. talked to me about those times about how strange it was to have a major label basically saying, "Yeah, we don't like this record. Try again." <laughs> you yeah. Know? Which is is and I mean I guess for I, I don't know that we've ever talked about this specifically on on the podcast, but Kino uh, is my dad, and so that's how what? we know each other. Are you kidding me? <laughs> that's uh, why he's my godchild. Yeah, yes, indeed. That's I where gave the him a hard time because he was a touring member of uh, Big Mountain at one point, actually. I, I, I was, yes. Uh, I was um, Father and son. I, I made that's more beautiful. over like a two-week period playing with Big Mountain than I did over the whole rest of the time <laughs> I played music. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mostly because the whole rest of the time I played music, I was paying money for the privilege of playing sure, music. Sure, but, you know, it's it's... Those opportunities didn't didn't get presented to a lot of bands, and and so there it was it was pretty incredible that that he got that that opportunity. For sure. Yeah, yeah, iconic moment in San Diego music. Sure, yeah, for sure. From Shiloh to Big Mountain, and we went. Kino and all of us uh, went. To, we went to Big Mountain. Everybody was going to Big Mountain. Peabody Coal Company was getting ready to you know bring dig for coal and everything on Big Mountain. So everyone monks. Uh, nurses, activists, everybody went to Big Mountain. Mm-hmm. So Kino and all of us, you know, we're doing uh, sweat lodges mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. It, it was time of Sundance. So we went with the Dane people, the Navajo, as they're called. And, you know, everybody I know was there, Jalowell, you know, my producers. And um, when he got back, he said, what should we name the band? You know, we want to name the band another name. Yeah. So everybody, he put out uh, Big Mountain, and that's how they got the name. Based wow. on the Big reservation. Mountain. Very cool. Yeah, Big Mountain. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, well, Makeda, thank you so much. Thank um, you. Art, what what do you have for us? I have this record called Back At You by this group called LPSD. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually two brothers, well, two black black guys and a Japanese guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, I think that the Japanese guy who's rapping, his name is King D. Mm-hmm. I think he might be the second Asian person in hip hop on wax. And when I say on wax, I mean on an actual record. Mm. Because in my, from my knowledge, the guy from Two Live Crew was the first Asian guy that I seen like in hip hop. Mm-hmm. And then King D uh, is the second guy. And this record came out in 1993 and all wow. three of these guys went to Morris High School Okay, and then another DJ producer guy hooked them up to form this group and I heard this record when I was like a senior in high school mm-hmm. when I first got turntables and at this time I'm listening to this guy DJ Rags on the radio and they had like a mix show and that's when they're mixing all the music and there are no videos, there's no YouTube, there's no way for you to really find out how to DJ 
like how to mix the records unless somebody like <laughs> shows you or teaches you how to do it. So we're listening to the radio like, yo, how do they do this? How do they do this? How do they do this? Yeah. And to hear this record come on in the mix and then to know that it's like a local group, people from San Diego, it was just so iconic and inspirational to me. Yeah. And then they had a mural on the Stupid. There's a clothing store called Stupid, clothing brand called Stupid in town. They had a mural on the Stupid wall. So it just blew my mind that huh. these guys would have a mural, something like what you see in New York. Yeah. And then they have this record made in San Diego, and it's coming on the radio from these DJs that are mixing this music. It just blew my mind. So this is a, a really important record to, as far as inspiring me to propel my career to where it is. It's called nice. Back At You nice. by LPSD. It. Let's give it a listen. Stay alive, pack the tray, eight plus to two's five for the rollout. Niggas busting caps and such. On the streets of San Diego, fools you just can't trust. I clutch the automatic, got static, we can fix it. Nigga, cause I'm wicked, you get pain inflicted. I'm sick with the super soul, nigga. So just roll up the Buddha, let the plot unfold. Stories told by the Southeast P. What you see is what you get, you know, contest we. Incredibly, I beat that insane nigga from the LPS. If you got beef, motherfucker, get it off of your chest. Yes. I think I bought that CD at Fam Mart once. You probably no. did. You probably <laughs> did. So, I was yeah. just kidding. You know, they used to sell CDs out in the parking lot. Yeah, and that, and probably that time you could have got it on a tape. Huh. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? On a yeah. tape. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I have to admit the the hip hop scene, specifically in Southeast, has always been one that's kind of been a, a blind spot for me. What 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 was it like, kind of seeing? This homegrown stuff. I mean, you said it was it was it was inspirational, but but was this a unique thing? Were there lots of groups kind of okay. doing stuff like this back in the nineties? So there's like rap, and there's uh-huh. like hip hop. Okay, yeah. right. And so um, in San Diego, you have like the street culture, mm-hmm. and so with the street culture, certain rap artists can't necessarily perform in another territory mm. that another gang area. They yeah, can't. Yeah, yeah perform yeah and so there's a guy by the name of mitchy slick he's a artist you know what i mean in town and he's friends with some other people from another set if you will right but he can't do songs with them even though they get along because his dead homies will like roll over in their grave Mm -hmm. right so with like the street and the gangster rap they can't really cross pollinate because of the feuds Mm. now with hip-hop when you have a beef with someone, you'll still show up to the same venue. You can battle it out. You can dance it out. There really won't be any like violence. Mm-hmm. You know, it'll be taken out within the culture versus like the street rap. It's going to be like fisticuffs. Mm-hmm. So it's two different things. Now, yeah. when we're talking about hip hop. We're talking about graffiti. We're talking about DJing. We're talking about break dancing. We're talking about MCing. Yeah. We're talking about even beatboxing. And we're talking about love, peace, love, unity, and having fun. Uh That's what we're talking about when we're talking about hip-hop. We're talking about rap. 
is different. I yeah. appreciate and I like them all. So for me, I moved from Michigan and then I lived in San Diego for like a year, mm-hmm. right? On 30th Street. And then my dad moved me to Rancho Bernardo, our whole family. So I was able to like get a great education, a good upbringing, stay out of trouble. Even though I got in trouble, you know, my dad's like, yo, Art, you can't be doing the same thing as these other people because their parents are judges and lawyers and doctors and they got attorneys and all this kind of stuff. And then they're going to just blame it on you. So you got to like fly straight. Right. So I'm very proud of my dad for what he did for his family. Mm -hmm. So fast forward into basic hip hop. um, It was something that I just had the desire and the craving to find out more about it to find out more. So we would leave from RB, go down to like the World Beat Center or wherever they had hip hop at and try to like learn. And then at this this time you're trying to freestyle battle with people. We're talking about before you're even making any beats. We're talking about just like collecting records and then trying to get two turntables. So, um, you know, I think that the hip hop scene in San Diego and getting exposed to it from the radio helped shape me to want to contribute to it hmm. and then get the respect of my peers so I started to throw my own events, you know what I mean, to try to get on. And people like Makeda allowed us to bring our idea and our vision to her. Mm-hmm. And then she allowed us to make mistakes and learn and helped us succeed. So uh, it was really like some fuel for me to get to where I am now. Yeah, you know? yeah. His father, is, uh, no, no, thought his father is an incredible person. He, His father was a friend of mine, and he was he was very young. At that time, his father owned record companies. Mm-hmm. His father brought a lot of this music to San Diego. Mm. So I got to give it up to Big Art. Yeah, I try not to use his juice. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm very grateful. He, You know, one yeah. thing about my dad is that, you know, he helped me get what I needed to get, to get started. You know, yeah. he always empowered me and sh- tried to help me figure out a way to get it. Yeah. You know, um, with morals and integrity, you know, and always encourage me. And so with his ideology, I just think that so many things are possible yeah. because of what he instilled in me. And then his work ethic, you know what I mean? He mm-hmm. he worked in uh, Santee. So driving from Rancho Mardardo to Damn. Santee six days a week yeah. back then, you know, that's like an hour drive. You yeah. know what I mean? Uh-huh. So, yeah. I'm not sure I answered your question. But, you know I mean? No, 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 you I did. I did tell you I smoke uh, weed, right? <laughs> yeah, it smells like Tim Hassam. Pass him over here. All right. Uh, well, shout out to Deep Rooted, his you know, project. Yes. Yes. That's how I first met him. Yeah, yeah. Deep Rooted is is awesome. You want to talk a little bit about 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 what that was like? What what the influences were there? I know you guys. Are, uh, have, have won a couple, is it a yeah. couple? Yeah, we, we music won awards? a couple of San Diego yeah. Music Awards. It was a great project. So um, Joe Haas, Mr. Brady, and Mr. Brady's like a longtime veteran of hip hop, you know, and he came up with this guy named Tony DeSchizzo uh-huh. who had this big record called Who You Talking To? Like back in the day, and that would come on the radio as well. So that's like a, a big influence to us. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of formed this group with these two guys, Brady and Joe Haas, who was like a younger MC that had a lot of passion and was really talented. And then there's another young lady by the name of Bree that they brought her into the group. Mm-hmm. And then after they kind of formed it, they came and got me and said, Hey art, you want to kind of like be in this group. So then I got in the group and then from there we made some records, did some videos, um, played some shows, did some touring, yeah, uh, and 
were pretty got some local radio play which was really cool because at that time i'm working at guitar center mm -hmm. and i'm driving home at the drive at five and i'm hearing <laughs> our record come on the radio you know there's, what I mean? so there's that no feeling a, like that a, right? yeah that was really cool and to build something as a team and go into it with a goal and a focus and we all contributed and kind of got our accolades or you always wanted to get your props mm -hmm. and we got our props and we feel good about the contribution that we've made to San Diego hip hop because there's been so much more before us who kind of built it. So we just feel like we have to carry the torch yeah. and have a little, have some integrity about it because so many people sacrifice for us to be able to do it. So mm. uh, it was a great time in my life. So I want to give them a big shout out and also Urban Dynamics. So we had a couple of dancers because we were, you know, hip hop. We do like DJing, yeah. we like graffiti, we like breaking, we like rapping, we like making beats, we mm -hmm. like beatboxing, we like the culture, the unity, you know. And so um, happy to be a part of something like that. And that was a dream that I had as a kid. Like I actually saw this. Like I actually saw this like in sixth grade. I'm like in the living room. I'm actually in the kitchen. Uh, and, you know, and I saw myself wanting to be like a DJ with a group. I mm -hmm. saw that. You know what I mean? I, I visualize it. And this is about the time that Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince were out. And some of the stuff that Jazzy Jeff was doing was so mind-blowing. But you didn't know how you could do it because there were no videos for mm -hmm. it. And so I, I could say that I saw what I wanted. I went after it. And I'm pretty happy with what I've been able to obtain from the game. Yeah. The game's been good to me. I've been good to the game. And I feel like... Local hip-hop, you have to put a lot of deposits mm. to make withdrawals. Mm. It's a lot of deposits you have to make before you get any withdrawals. And then there's been so many people that helped me. Like I was a, a hip-hop kid with a bad attitude. Tim helped me correct my attitude along with some other people. <laughs> well, nice. And then with, with that, I'm able to have success and have a thriving you know, events and DJ business from wanting to be a hip-hop kid. You know what I mean? So Yeah. Still don't know if I answered your question, but anyways. <laughs> I, 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 so think you, I think you did. I think you got us there. All right, Tim. Um, so we have we have reached you. What, what do you got what do you got to play for us? <laughs> uh, this is kind of an interesting band called Power Paws, mm -hmm. which um, we recently lost a, a luminary in the local music community, Otis Bartholomew. Yes. A uh, bunch of bands. Uh, more recently, he was in a band called Harsh Mellow, but mm -hmm. Fluff and uh, Olive Lawn are bands he's been involved with. Um, and he passed away very unexpectedly. But the funny thing is, is, you know, Jeff Ament from Pearl Jam moved up into the area a few years ago. And O would literally just show up like at his house to the point where Jeff Ament actually had to tell him, uh, dude, you know, you got to stop coming over here all the time. <laughs> but they did get in the studio and record some tracks. And um, and with those passing, they had a big memorial and Jeff Ament got the 45s printed hmm. and a couple songs on there. So I thought it would be cool to share uh, the track that has O oh, singing Lost in Loneliness from the band Power Paws uh, featuring Pearl Jam's Jeff Ament, who's a big skateboarder as well. So they they really created a friendship. And, um, you know, over the last few months, we've lost two ridiculous members of the music community um, that Bill has covered in his movie as well uh, with Rick Froberg of, mm -hmm. of Drive Like Jehu and more yeah. recently Hot Snakes and Otis Bartholomew. Both of them now have uh, memorial photos at the Casbah, so pay your respects to those guys because they did a lot to elevate our music community. And I, you know, I wasn't necessarily close to O. Uh, he was definitely an interesting guy, but for me, what meant the world getting to book so many shows at the Casbah for Tim Mays would be when O would show up to see some band yeah. that I was giving them their first chance to play there, and mm. and he'd be there, and that would kind of validate 
myself and the band. Yeah. Definitely. That guy loved music, you know? He did, yeah. yeah. He, did. he did. He did love music. Yeah. When I look back now, you want to know what I see? A future you without a future me. Nice little memory that he left behind for all of us. You know, for they sure. did an amazing memorial for him at the Sound up uh, up in Del Mar, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> Aquabats performed. Um, you had Fu Manchu. You had video presentations from uh, Fugazi, mm-hmm. Ian McKay, and and the guys in Blink One Eighty Two. I mean, it was pretty magical, and he was such an interesting character. But a uh, big big hole is missing in San Diego music because of him. You know, and I think it brings up something interesting that that is just so uniquely San Diego, which is we have so many people here who have these sort of outsized footprints, right? But they're so under the the radar, right? I mean, and that's kind of just how San Diego always has been. There there are these moments of of excitement and people who bring all of this excitement, but but you know, it doesn't really ever ever blow in this way. It's going right? to blow. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah, you could argue, you know, all of the things that he talks about in his film, and then what do we get? Well, we get Blink-182. I mean, that mm-hmm. comes out of all of this, basically, but uh, it, it's crazy. I mean, aren't they, I mean, they've reunited, and they're bigger than they've ever been. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's kind of phenomenal. I but it's, it's weird, though, because somebody like O, for his huge footprint, was a strangely modest guy in a lot of ways, sure. and shy in a weird way. Yeah. Like he I, was a musician's friend. I mean, he was yeah. a musician. He didn't always deal well with people if you weren't a musician. Yeah, he he know? related to people through music, yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. And he was a really nice guy. I always got along really well with O, but he was not forthcoming in a, in a weird way. It'd be like, you know, he'd ask him about producing Blink-182. He'd be like, yeah, those guys are cool. You know yeah. what I mean? It'd just be like, <laughs> No you know. in-depth story. Yeah, yeah. and I was trying, I, I remember when I first sort of got to know him a little better, like I was asking him about his skate photos because when I was a kid, yeah. I would see O photos in the magazines and it was just like this really cool thing. Mm-hmm. I was like, you should do something with these photos. He's like, ah, you know, who cares about my photos? You know what I mean? And, and like he should be promoting himself, and but he doesn't have that attitude. And I think a lot of people around here don't necessarily have that attitude yeah. for better and for worse. Can, can I, I say something after you, if I may? Please, yeah, yeah. no. You know, there was a time where someone would come and see what he has and they would try to manage or be, you know, their his assistant or something and help him get to the next level. We don't have those people anymore. Those people that will sacrifice to help you get there to see the vision, they often want to turn into the star. They often want to be the front. Yeah. So you don't have that manager or that one person that's going to help you arm by arm and say, hey, we're going to do this with your career. I believe in you, and let's go. Where yeah. are those people at? Yeah, yeah. And so can you remind me which which I believe it was the first couple, right, that O produced of Blink One Eighty Two albums? Uh, he produced the first album, uh-huh. 
Okay. And then Mark Trombino from Drive Like Jehu produced oh, the second, right. I think. That's I'm not right. a Blink expert. Yeah. I went and to I, school with Tom <laughs> for one year. Oh, yeah. Uh, out yeah. of Poway? Or? He got kicked out of Poway, so he had to go to RB <laughs> for one year. <laughs> nice. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah, so I mean, for somebody who, who you know, really set Blink-182 on the path to being Blink-182, yeah. O O's name isn't really one that's 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 known to many people who who don't, you know. He was there in the beginning. Who don't you know? who don't go to Casbah a night or two a week. Sure. Right? But I mean <laughs> even his own band Fluff, like when yeah. they would their promo photos famously were of other bands. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like they weren't of the guys in Fluff. It was another band. So yeah. like O wouldn't put his image out there. Right. And I never did interview him for it's going to blow. Like at first I thought I took it personally. I thought he didn't trust me with it. And he finally was just like, you know, he's just like I don't want to like take focus away from anybody he's like i want he didn't want to be like he, it was a shyness or like a modesty mm. to an ex almost excessive point but yeah. it's great because i think he did it for the right reasons and froberg was a bit like that too um where you know getting rick to talk about like some of the stuff he did wasn't always easy sometimes it was sometimes it wasn't you know right. but he didn't he never i think he was conscious of not trying to be a careerist or whatever mm. yeah. <laughs> so that's you know um that's a plus and a minus. It's great because people are in it for the right reasons. And that's a bummer sometimes because maybe they don't get the credit they deserve. Right. They're but, suffering for their art. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, Tim, I mean, you know, as somebody who for so long hosted the local music shows, I mean, what, what was that like for you? Did, 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 were there, were there bands that you felt, um, never got to the place that they should have been? I mean, I, as a, as a musician myself, looking back at all of the incredible bands that all of them that we've that we've played that we've played shows with or that that you know I've watched or whose EPs I I you know listened to even back on MySpace days it was like there were all of these incredible artists that that just never really I mean, it was like a There's failure a curse to launch in San situation. Diego, you know, we'll talk about that. What's you start the curse? pulling girls and you start having <laughs> some kind of fan base in San Diego, but there's an isolation. We're, we're very isolated in San Diego in a weird way, you know? I mean, mm -hmm. L.A. is a different animal. You want to go east, you're, Arizona is six hours away. It's not like other areas where bands have an easier time touring can be in another city mm -hmm. within an hour. Um, but also, yeah, there's a, there's kind of a lack of um, just desire sometimes. I mean, look at this. This place is paradise, right? Mm -hmm. um, why do you ever want to leave? But there there's an unfortunate bar people do kind of Something takes over. Hmm. I mean, especially now, the cost of living is ridiculous. You can't be a starving artist in San Diego. You definitely need to, to do something. But, um, you know, I think over the last uh, decade or so, one of the bands I've been most excited about and, and definitely something that Tim Mays has supported wholeheartedly is the, the Schizophonics. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a band that still is flying under the radar but just had one of their biggest American tours with an Australian band as the headliner that great band called The Chats. Mm -hmm. Remember that song, Smoko? Oh, yeah, okay. So they just did their biggest North American tour playing for more people here, you know, ever than before. So that that's exciting. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I do feel like it's surprising, right? We're so close to what is supposed to be the music capital. I think there's a way to manage a music career if you're serious about it, but kind of nurture yourself in this community. Mm -hmm. um, I, I've always felt, at least in kind of the rock indie scene, that there is this sort of, um, you know, and they and they mention it in in it's gonna blow where they talk about San Diego being a black hole or like the dreaded San Diego scene, right? Um, where th th there is this sort of almost cultural backwater <laughs> feeling, right? Uh, you know, we don't necessarily have the critical mass of of audiences to support 
a band, right? A band can't be here and devote everything they 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 have to their art because they can't play a show a couple times a month and 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 make the kind of money that you would up in LA. And so sure. anybody who really, really cares about their art or wants to be serious about it ends up having to move. They have to move up to LA. Yeah. They have to move up to SF. Nashville. Nashville. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There, there, there is this sort of like there, if, if we have a tub of artists, there's a, there's a leak at the bottom, right? We just can't seem to hold on to them for long enough to, to, to get them off their feet and, 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 and to thrive. We're, we're kind of a cul-de-sac in a way. Like huh. it's, cul-de-sac is where you can like go out with your friends and play touch football and all that because it's <laughs> kind of safe but in the end it's a dead end and you're either you stick around there i'm talking from a career standpoint not mm. necessarily an artistic one but yeah. uh you got your little playground there and you can stay there and you can make the most of it or it's the end of the road and you head back up north to la <laughs> or you head out you know whatever you go yeah. you go out into the, the the greater world yeah but i think there's also like especially if you're talking about like the nineties stuff, there's a little bit of, a, I think a socioeconomic aspect of it where some of these guys, they're privileged enough. And I put myself in this category where they didn't necessarily have to make a living off their mm. art. You know what I mean? Like you're talking about the cost of living now. It wasn't that bad back sure. then, you know, you could have a shitty job and kind of do your band. Yeah. And I think there was work a lot at of the that record going store. on. Yeah. Work at the record store. And that's, that's a lot harder to do now. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. You know, how the and we're so spread out. You know, there's so many different yeah. elements. I mean, there deserves to be a cool Casbah-like venue in Oceanside. I mean, Third Avenue and Chula Vista should have some venues. I mean, mm -hmm. there should be more supporting yeah. of, of art and culture and music. I mean, this woman's been doing it for so long and, yeah, okay, and representing yeah. her culture. I mean, I am a white guy, but I'm so grateful for having this in San Diego and, and this exposure. I mean, Bob Marley days. I mean, everything she's ever done. Tim Mays. I mean, there's so many people um, mm -hmm. that I could, I wouldn't be here without them. I mean, that's Shout out Tim so Mays. He's good Tim to me too. He's yeah, very Tim good Mays. to me. Tim Mays. Yeah. But it's so hard to do what like you and Tim have done just to, in this town, because it really is hard to mobilize like the enthusiasm and the resources. I don't know what the funding is like around here, but I can't imagine it's easy to get funding. No, no. You know, so to do it for that long is is incredible. Especially for a black person. Yeah. yeah. All, yeah. all the black people leave. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. or they die poor. I mean, like, mm. look at them. Are they still they, leaving? I feel they like. They need food, you know, Jazz 88. You know, yeah, all these yeah. great, you know, jazz musicians, Hollis Gentry. They all, they died poor. Daniel yeah. Jackson. All these guys, Daniel Jackson. Yeah. A rough road. So, you know, for a black person to stay in this town is it's incredible. It was hard for me to be in Balboa Park. You know, imagine. they yeah. really yeah. didn't want, you know, us there. And now they realize all the culture that I've been bringing. Yeah. So well, they, the mayor pointed me on, you know, the they, they preferred to have have it. Have the old uh, water tower just housing stolen bikes? Right? Oh yeah, that was, that was that <laughs> what it? Stolen bike you do? <laughs> that's that's what yeah. it was before stolen the World bikes, Beat Center. Yeah. Right? Oh no, they like a, they gave me a, really a big garage bad time. of stolen bikes. So you see why people and musicians have nervous breakdowns? Yeah, yeah. and the, and yeah, well, and suicide, you yeah. know, yeah. and you know on drugs. You see, you know why all these? Luckily, I was a meditator, you know, from a young age because you know it it was hard. You starved to do these things. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's important because it was to bring us all together. White, yeah. black, all of us made this town. Yeah. yeah. Mexican, you know, all of it. That you know, that's why I got into reggae and I brought reggae in Espanol to uh, Tijuana. So I was doing all kinds of reggae down there. Mm -hmm. And then we then look at them now, Los Cafres, Couture, Perfetica. These are huge oh, yeah. stars, yeah. you know. Mm -hmm. But we gotta keep on doing because music is the weapon.
Power well, to the people. Well, that's a that's a good transition to the song that I was going to play, um, which is one that I think that anybody who's studied a little bit of San Diego music or San Diego activism is very, very familiar with. Um, it, it was by this band called Los Alacranes Mojavos, uh, the the wetback scorpions, as they, as uh, you say in English, um, and it was sort of the brainchild of Chunky Ramon, uh, Ramon Chunky Sanchez, and his brother uh, Ricky Ricardo Sanchez. Um, and you know, Chunky, his influence on on local music, he's he's kind of a, the epitome of of somebody who wedded activism and music, and and in, and especially in San Diego, his his cultural footprint is just. Immense. I mean, this is a guy who who was one of the nine recipients of the National Endowment for the Arts um, honors, in, in I think 2013 or 2014. I mean, he was on the front lines with with um, Cesar Chavez during the the uh, you know United Farm Worker strikes. I mean, this this guy is is somebody who is just a, an icon. And this song, Chicano Park. Uh, sort of tells the tale of the the takeover of Chicano Park. Um, you know, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, in the '70s they were the the community of of, of um, uh, you know Barrio Logan was promised a a park in this in the what is now Chicano Park, but but the California Highway Patrol had decided that they were going to build a a, a a Highway Patrol substation there, and the community found out and they took the place over and this was uh this song kind of tells the story of that and chunky was was part of that of that group of people even then and he's still idled at chicano park yes yeah. he yeah. is he's he's on he's on the murals up there he's oh, he's yes. one of the sort of patron saints of chicano park for sure and his his grandkids yep and black mexican all of them he's a great guy yeah chunky yeah. he was he was incredible rest in peace One of the things I think that was so special about Chunky was was not only his his being able to meld activism and music, but being able to do so in a way that was both very heartfelt and and frankly very very funny. Yeah, <laughs> you know he he was able to bring all of these different uh, emotions and feelings and influences together in a way that that was just so organic, right? And and that's I think that's kind of rare nowadays to 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 see somebody who not only takes what they're saying very seriously, but doesn't take themselves too seriously, 
And that's a hard balance to strike, I think. I really enjoyed that piece, and uh, Javier the X-Man plays that record mm-hmm. pretty frequently on uh, oh, yeah. his show, which is cool. And that record, as it being funny but very serious, it reminds me of, like of Public Enemy. Hmm. I'll tell you why. Because you have Chuck D up there, very serious, <laughs> and then you have Flavor Flav being like the jokester. Yeah. So it makes it a tolerable to some people's palate, yeah. but the message is coming across. Yeah. But most people don't will miss it because Flavor Flav is so <laughs> funny. So they have a great balance of that activism, mm-hmm. you know, as well as like, hey, don't take us too serious. At the same time, we got five militant soldiers yeah. on stage. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> Phenomenal concept yeah. of how they propelled that group with Chuck D being so serious and then Flavor Flav kind of being silly. Mm-hmm. There used to be promoters in San Diego kind of tied into the rave scene, and this this goes back to talking about how conservative San Diego is, but they were, they were going to produce a public enemy show here, mm-hmm. and they had to bounce it around several venues. It was going to be at the Scottish Rite Center, and as it ended up, it had to be at Baby Rock and TJ because – the people that had any power were just like not having it, yeah. not whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't believe San Diego for things like that. Yeah. Um, like I remember when the Beastie Boys and Fishbone got canceled because this is when they were touring with their six foot inflatable penis, and San Diego <laughs> was too conservative to. I mean, come on, it's like a Bible Belt stuff. Like, yeah. yeah. Why in San yeah. Diego? But it's yeah. the, well, San it's the military. Right. It's all Very these things. Midwest by the sea. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's always been this yeah. weird little red dot, you know, in California, and and I think that 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 has made it all the more important to have these sort of safe spaces. And so, I mean, whether it was World Beat or Casbah, these places really allowed yeah. a scene to come together. And, and, and in some in some iterations, like we mentioned earlier, Czech Cafe. But yeah. Yeah. it's no, always Absolutely. it's always yeah. been so difficult because San Diego is perpetually in this state of renewal and, and the people are always treading water because there is this turnover. Again, I mean, I keep coming back to, to for, for, for me, the importance of just holding space and having spaces that, that people can, can be at, you know, uh, when I was throwing shows and when I was playing the DIY spaces were, were like a second home to us, you know, the, the little art galleries or, or the little, uh, garages or holes in the wall. And, and as this city gets more expensive, all of these things become less able to continue to exist, you know, and I'm curious, you know, maybe to wrap up, I'm curious if there is a, a a band or a musical story that that you guys are looking forward to, you know, or just looking at as 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 we move forward. For me, it'll be the continued potential drying up or 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 shrinking of San Diego's scene because of just the reality that it is hard as hell to live in the city. I mean, uh, what do you think? Why don't you start, Tim? Well, I think with the young people, there's plenty of young people that have parents that have means and they're able to live here and maybe go to the School of Rock. And it is kind of neat. I think through the School of Rock, there are new young bands For sure. that I'm discovering and excited about because they've graduated from uh, the rock band game to actually wanting to play mm-hmm. and they create bands out of it. Mm. There's some really cool ones that yeah. I've discovered over and, the and last And I have some good years. friends who, who teach at School of Rock and, yeah, and they're awesome. Yeah, it's great for the community and there's School of Rocks all over the county, I would say. Yeah. We they use the World Beat Center every year, huh. and they have good bands. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They do tributes to San Diego, or they'll do a tribute to Bob or yeah. Pink Floyd or any number of things. And I yeah. think that's a a breeding ground for new bands more than anything. Hmm. Um, Shea Cafe is a great place. Humble Hearts, a new spot in OB that's been bringing uh, young bands, uh, you know, 
there's not a lot of places for obviously underage bands to play. Mm-hmm. So I've noticed that a lot of bands have been going down there and that's kind of creating something. Yeah. Um, I'd love to open Hey, if anybody wants to invest in a, I think a great <laughs> idea would be a, a, a rehearsal space, you know, sell out rehearsal spaces, a venue and a record store. I'm thinking Lemon Grove because it's underserved. There Throw a go. coffee yeah, shop Grove. in there. And a coffee yeah. shop, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, dispensary. Well, it's got to be near it. <laughs> you just, dispensary Grove you can't have it. kids. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, forget the dispensary. All right, Art, so uh, what are you paying attention to? Is there a musical artist? Is there a, just a, a, a music story that you're paying attention to going into 2024? No, not really. I'm so <laughs> focused on what, what I'm doing, you know, as far as, like, building my business. But I will say this. During the pandemic, I did a lot of recording and everyone was coming in playing multiple instruments. Kids were younger. They were Mm. from Berkeley. So the amount of musicians that are going to be in San Diego, I think, has doubled or tripled Mm. because I come from working at Guitar Center and we come from guitar sales being low because no one wanted to play guitar because it hurts their fingers, <laughs> to the pandemic-saving guitar, yeah. right? Because everybody wanted to be a DJ. Mm. Now, I would say that this formula is possible for a musician in San Diego based in our market. If you can get 1,000 fans that you can sell $100 worth of stuff to a year, you can make a living. During the winter, we sell you a crew nut crew neck during the summer we sell you a tank top we sell you our album uh you come to a show so i think you have to be way more creative if you want to make a living based off your music and entertainment One thousand hardcore fans that you can sell 100 dollars worth of stuff to a year hmm. that would be the formula that i would advise for any artist in the town trying to make some money interesting all right all right uh makeda so what are you looking at are there any artists or any stories and music that, that you're paying attention to going into the new year? Well, I went back to Afrobeats. I, I promoted a lot of uh, Afrobeat music, uh-huh. uh, Fela and King Sunny A Day, Keith, King uh, Commander Ebenezer Obey. But now I'm into like Afrobeats and I'm a piano. And uh, that music, I've been working with the immigrants. Mm -hmm. And so I've been doing a taste of Africa with all the African restaurants Mm. and then putting the music together and then African dance. So I've been really in Africa a lot. Mm -hmm. Congolese artists that were born uh, in refugee camps. So I'm really into, you know, bringing Africa, of course, reggae. I'm I'm doing the old school, you know, I have... (laughs) I have tribute to the legends Bob Marley Day, but we're doing it at the World Beat Center. So, yeah, you know, and, you know, working with the kids to be artists. We have Charlie's Choc- Chocolate Factory coming up and some musical dance for Kwanzaa. Hmm. So I- I'm keeping the culture down. Yeah. Because that's what you guys grew up in. And Tim Mays, you know, by the way, Tim, you sure look handsome. Now, I don't know what you... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Wow. I have to say, if you never experienced the Bob Marley Day at the sports arena, I have never seen so many cultures come together around one thing, Yeah. from the white boys to the gangsters to the cholos. I mean, and the cops. I mean, number one... I guarantee most police officers left that event high as fuck because I'd never seen so much open pot smoking going oh, man. on. Yeah. I remember being like 11 years old and just and just 
enveloped in a in a just ridiculous uh, with that rotating stage <laughs> oh, and, right. and all you see is smoke. nothing like it yeah. you know what nothing i mean like that's yeah. me too that's the first time we i was like yo they're smoking this much uh-huh. <laughs> we don't tell say anything don't mess with the customers yeah. you know and out there and, and, then, and please, at the time come on in san diego still like it's amazing how they they were just let it happen you know yeah. it's a safe yep. environment safe space and but I, I just watch those cops rolling around. They they have to be getting high. <laughs> That's why they're there? Yeah, <laughs> exactly right. All right. Well, well, Bill, what are you what are you paying attention to? Any any artists? Any any musical stories? Uh, another documentary, perhaps that that you're you're thinking about coming into the new year? Well, I do have something I'm working on, but it's not really it's not San Diego focused mm-hmm. at all. So okay. I'll, I'll skip that. But. <laughs> But locally, just real quick, I've, the thing that always excites me is when people are like doing their own thing, when people yeah. have their own labels, even if they're not, you know, they have their friends' bands on it, all that kind of thing. I always just think that's great because yeah. that's, I don't think that's something that's really changed. That goes back to Harry Parch, who's in my book, who was doing that in the 50s, mm-hmm. had his own label, you know, uh, through Bandcamp today. And uh, I don't know, whenever I see that, even if it's music I don't necessarily get into, it's really exciting when I see somebody's got their shirts for sale, they got their records, they got their friends' records, yeah. they got books, whatever they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I also, you know, I just like to see people getting together though, because I think that's that's become really harder to do for all the reasons we've been talking about and the pandemic yeah. and everything. So anytime like I go to the Casbah, it feels like I'm at home <laughs> and finding those spaces is really important, I think. Uh, it is. You got to hold on to them. Find it your is. space. It is. Find yeah. your space and hold on to it. Yeah. We, we all need to be doing more holding onto those spaces. For Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you guys so much. Um, really, really can't thank you enough for coming in here and shooting the shit with me for an hour. Thank you. Um, thank you, little, little Buddha. Buddha. Thanks for the beer. <laughs> little Buddha. I'm, I'm, regret, I'm regretting bringing that up at all. Oh, um, so you know, we're going now. to, we're going <laughs> to yeah. close out with a special song uh, that is essentially where it's going to blow comes from, right? Oh, you want okay, right. to give a little bit of uh, is, intro uh, to, to Truman's water. This is Truman's water. Uh, the song is aroma of Gina Arnold, which is uh, Gina Arnold was a music critic who used to write for the reader back in the early nineties. And uh, <laughs> I'm paraphrasing here, but people uh, sort of, I think thought of her as being a shill for kind of the corporatization of indie rock. Hmm. I've, that's, you know, I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus with that, but Truman's water made this song that's sort of, you know, the title's kind of a parody of smells like teen spirit. Oh. Uh, and the chorus is, you know, your plastic culture sucks and it's going to blow which you can take a lot of ways. I think in the song, it basically means like, we're going to blow it up and start again with something mm-hmm. better, which I think is really, it's this really positive kind of exciting message. But then when I was naming the documentary, I, I stole it because it's so ambiguous because it can mean a lot of things. There's mm-hmm. a lot of meanings that's going to blow. It can mean it's going to blow up and get big, like San Diego's going to get popular and successful. Mm-hmm. It's going to blow like it's going to suck, like it's just going <laughs> to really blow. Uh, it's going to blow in a bad way. It's going to blow up. Yeah. It could be all these things. And I think all those things apply, especially to that period in San Diego music. I think people had a lot of mixed feelings about it. And I think there was, as always, these you know wonderful things that happened and maybe some not so wonderful things that happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love this song because Truman's Water, they're insane people. <laughs> And they play this song as if it's about to fall apart at any moment. The late <laughs> Eli Moyal, who died a few years ago, plays drums on it. And I hadn't heard this song in a few years. I was doing it yesterday. And during the little uh, freak out parts, he just sounds like he's about to <laughs> just totally lose the beat. And I love every moment of it. It's it does a great feel song. like it's just hanging by a little 
string of cartilage or something. It is. If you've ever seen them play, they were just flailed around. Glenn plays without a guitar strap. It's just (laughs) chaos. High in his chest. chest, Barely contained chaos. Octagrape. With with O. O was an octagrape for a while. So anyway, I think they're the best best of it. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, this is Aroma of Gina Arnold by Truman's Water, um, which... Uh, Bill stole for the name of his documentary and then we stole as as a um, you know phrase here at Voice of San Diego hope you guys all have a wonderful day alright thank you good job Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, Happy Hour Edition. Thanks to our special guests for this episode, Art Mitchell, Makeda Cheatham, Tim Piles, and Bill Perrine. Get the show notes for this episode and every Voice of San Diego podcast with our newsletter. Subscribe now at vosd.org slash pod. Once again, that is vosd.org slash pod. I'm Jacob McQuinney, education reporter at Voice of San Diego, and Nate John is our lovely producer. Thanks for listening. See you soon.